Welcome to Cosmic Conversations with Julia Phoenix. Welcome back to another episode of Cosmic Conversations. I'm your host, Julia Phoenix, and this is your source for expansive conversations and timeless wisdom to help you navigate the deeply spiritual and wildly cosmic experience of being a human being on planet Earth. Well, today, we're going to see if I can get through this episode without crying. (laughs) I think probably not. I wanted to take some time to share from my heart about my own experience of recovering from addiction to drugs and alcohol. And at the time that I'm recording this, it is Valentine's Day, and I'm celebrating today 15 years clean and sober from drugs and alcohol, which is absolutely wild to me. I mean, I can't even believe that I have done anything in my life for 15 years, let alone this, you know, and some people say, wow, that's so cool that that you have Valentine's Day as your sobriety birthday. Did you choose it? And the answer is no, (laughs) I did not. Uh, The last day that I used was um, February 13th, 2009, and that was the day that I rolled my little suitcase into inpatient rehab after a number of failed attempts, uh, trying to do it on my own, trying to do it in outpatient rehab, trying to do it just through 12 step and things like this. And, you know, I wanted to share about my journey, not just because it feels cathartic for me to do so, and it's just flowing through me, but because I really want to bring a message of hope that recovery is possible. Addiction is something that I understand very deeply and not only from my personal experience, but also from the perspective of being sober and having loved ones who are suffering and really struggling with addiction. And I have such a heart for, there, there it is. <laughs> I have such a heart for people who are struggling in that way. I understand what it takes. I understand the isolation and the secrecy and the shame. I understand how scary it can feel when something has gotten out of control to the point where it now controls you and you don't want to do it really, but you can't stop. And once again, I believe it's a miracle. It's a miracle when anyone can shift out of the grip of that And I also know that it is 100% possible for people to do so, 
right? So I grew up in uh, Palo Alto mostly. I was born actually in Oakland and lived there for the first few years of my life, but grew up in Palo Alto in the 90s. So like heart of Silicon Valley in, in the dot-com boom, you know? And what's so interesting about my upbringing, I feel, is that, you know, there, I shared in a previous episode, there was so much trauma. There was so much going on behind closed doors that was very, very dark. Um, I'll just share and, you know, if, if you have sensitivities around certain traumas of your own, just be forewarned, trigger warning here. Um, but, you know, I suffered uh, incest and my family was involved in a spiritual cult and I also had abuse happening from men outside the home throughout my childhood. And what was interesting about it is that on the surface, everything looked amazing, right? And I was given this message, I was given the narrative, like, you know, you're so lucky. And, you know, my, my, I was told like, that my family was really special and spiritual. And it was it was special. We're not like other families, right? We're kind of the chosen ones. And this is really common with any kind of cult upbringing. But I was also uh, just kind of given the message that I had this perfect family and it was reflected to me from the outside as well because my parents were still together. We lived really, I had, I had so much privilege. Um, we had two cars in the garage, kind of white picket fence type of a thing. I had the best schools, all of this stuff, right? But no one was acknowledging what was real. You know, no one was acknowledging what was true. And when you're a child, it's impossible to make sense of that environment without finding some way to cope with it, right? And there were many ways that I found to cope with it even before drugs and alcohol. So, you know, my first drug of choice was food. And I remember taking, you know, food literally to bed with me, like under the covers and tucking myself in with it just to self-soothe, you know? Uh, because again, you, you have to find things to help you cope with an impossible situation like that, right? Now, I'm not saying that my trauma 100% caused the addiction because I understand that addiction can be complex and comes from a variety of, of factors. There is a genetic component. It's biological, it's psych psychological, and it is environmental. But, you know, I also believe that all of those factors are kind of interlinked, right? <laughs> when you look at generational trauma, and when you look at the DNA, it's like you can say, well, it's just in your DNA. Well, why is it in your DNA? Right? It's because of these generational patterns that we hold that include trauma, right? And it just gets passed down generation to generation in different ways. Anyway, you know, 
I found whatever I could get my hands on to, um, it, it's just like, it was like blindly reaching for anything to collapse into any place that I could find a sense of comfort or love or a sense of release or a sense of numbness or a sense of checking out or whatever the case may be. So um, a variety of eating disorders from an extremely young age. Uh, you know, I was, I was eight years old the first time that I remember throwing up my food. And then when I was around 13, um, I found drugs and I found alcohol you know, and I loved it, obviously, you know, it gave me that release. It also gave me a sense, especially at that time, like when I first started, it gave me this sense of being able to connect, right? Being able to connect with my peers to feel this um, sense of relief from like the chronic anxiety I felt about my experience of being me, you know, and this is a really common thing that addicts and alcoholics will share, like just this discomfort in your own skin and this need to get out of it and this feeling like you can't connect with anyone or anything. It's like there's this invisible wall, this chronic emptiness, this loneliness, this sense of being different, you know, not able to connect, right? And, you know, kind of fast forward, like I went in and out of phases where I would say I more heavily leaned into the lane. <laughs> like addiction, I see addiction like a, like a, like it can be like a five lane highway, you know, and you could switch lanes at any time. So I was switching all over the place and I spent periods of time where I was more deeply embroiled in uh, my eating disorder. And then I spent periods of time where, um, you know, it was relationships, it was men, uh, it was drugs. And at the time when I was, um, I think 22 was when, so, okay, so <laughs> early 20s were the worst period of my life, you know, and, and I, I look at it and I think about it and it's like, wow, so many people are like, you know, you're supposed to be having fun at that age. Like, you know, maybe you're in college, graduating college, kind of partying, having fun. I was not having fun, <laughs> not by any stretch of the imagination. You know, I was um, really, really sick with bulimia. Uh, and I'm a type one diabetic, by the way. So this meant a lot of hospital visits for me um, my mental health was extremely poor. I actually attempted, um, I attempted to end my life, uh, three separate times. Uh, my soul was like, no, <laughs> you don't get to do that. Um, no, I was in and out of treatment centers for anorexia and bulimia and, um, you know, 22 was when I, my drug use took a very, very dark turn. And I was, I was drinking throughout this period, like heavily, you know, waking up in the morning, drinking, uh, ha having liquor in my coffee cup, you know, driving down the road and having a flask underneath my seat, 
you know? Um, I, I mean, I was bold too. Like, this is also just like, I also see that, you know, this was, this was just blind privilege and, you know, um, ignorance to be driving around doing that. Like, and, and I think about the lives that I endangered doing that. I'm so fucking grateful that I never hit anyone, you know? I've certainly known people who have had that experience. But what ended up happening is that after I had an experience um, of, uh, of assault, I found heroin. And I literally remember this moment when I first used that drug. And it was like I was looking at this fork in the road. And I remember seeing very clearly, like, if you go down this path, th this is like a path of, of death. You know, this is this is really dark. And I didn't care at that point. I actually said to myself, I might have even said it out loud. If I didn't, it was an extremely clear thought in my mind. I'm just going to do this until I die. That was what I said to myself. I don't care. I'm just going to feel this every day as much as I can until it takes me out. That was my plan, right? And I am so thankful. I am so incredibly thankful that because of the other things that I had going on with my diabetes and with the eating disorder, this drug took me down, you know, to the point where I could not continue, you know, I mean, I was really at death's door. It was very bad. It got very, very bad. Okay, so, <sighs> I remember the first time uh, that shifted for me, that decision that I was gonna do this forever. And it was a morning when I woke up and you know, you just like hustle to get what you need. And when you're when you're that deep in it. I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of. And it's almost like a full time job to sustain your addiction at that point, when you are that dependent. And it's not cheap, right? So <laughs> I woke up and I was sick, you know, like I was every morning. And I was out of money and I didn't have a bag. And I found myself literally combing through the uh, contents of like the, the, the carpet of my van to try to find if, if maybe I dropped something. And I just said, I'm, I am so tired. Like, I can't do this anymore, you know? 
And that was the beginning of trying to get better, right? Trying to get better. So like I said, I went to outpatient. Uh, I went to 12 step. I, um, I did a lot of things to try to get better. Um, I was living in a home with someone who was also actively using and I just had so much going on. So many co-occurring things that like, I could not, I mean, I just couldn't do it that way. I needed to be someplace where I physically didn't have the option of picking it up. And so I was blessed and fortunate enough to go into rehab and it was the greatest turning point in my life. You know, February 13th, 2009, talk about a real fork in the road, you know, and it's not like I had this moment where I was like, you know what, I am going to stop doing this. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and I'm going to, you know, toss this in the river and no more like no it was literally just like i can't i don't know what to fucking do like i need help and i really surrendered i didn't want to go into that center it was terrifying actually <laughs> you know and it was so uncomfortable and it continued to be really an uncomfortable experience right but it was also a really positive experience in a lot of ways. There were elements of the experience at that treatment center, which were really, really difficult, you know? Um, it wasn't the warmest, fuzziest place, you know? And I got called out frequently, you know? Really called out, <laughs> having to look at the truth of my patterns, the truth of my addiction and what I was doing. And I met a man in this space, his name was Jim, my counselor in rehab, who um, I think of every year around this time, who was like an earth angel to me. And he unfortunately passed away, I think in 2015, so he's like an angel in my life still. But at the time, as firm as he was with me, you know, as real and as blunt as he was with me, sometimes in ways that were really uncomfortable to receive, he believed in me. He believed in my capacity to get better. And he was the first person to actually tell me in a way that I could hear and in a way that I really believed that I was smart. Like, I didn't know that. He helped me believe that. And he, he told me that, I, you know, you're gonna, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna overcome this thing. Like, you're gonna make it. I've been doing this a long time and I could tell that you're gonna make it. And it's like, we have these people in our lives that come in and they might not be core people in our lives. You know, they might not be the people we grew up around. They might not even stay for a real long time. It's a relatively short time period in my life, but they can have this impact, you know, 
where it can imprint you, like the words that they say to you, the way that they show up in the moment that they do can imprint you with new beliefs, can open up new doors for you, can, can help you to see that, you know, maybe there's this other life for you and maybe like it's worth trying to find that life. And so it was a clear decision that I made where it was like, I, I know where this other path leads, right? I saw it and I experienced a lot of it. I don't know where the path of sobriety leads me, but I'm willing to find out. I'm willing to find out and I'm gonna show up every day and do whatever it is that is asked of me to walk that path and to find out, right? I had another counselor in there that I didn't like very much. <laughs> A woman speaking of calling me out she was way harsher with me you know and I really feel like with drugs and alcohol it, my process of recovery from drugs and alcohol was really different from my process of recovery with um, eating disorders because I found that eating disorders there was a softer element required for me there there's a lot more gentleness required there's a core component of like self-love that was foundational for me, even in the very early phases of my recovery from that particular um, condition. But with drugs and alcohol, I feel like there tends to be a lot of sort of shaking you awake because it, and, and, and it can be a bit more harsh, you know, it can be a bit more intense because it's like, it's just what's needed. And it's like, you, you, you're gonna die, you know, <laughs> at least in my situation, you know, it's like, you've got to see, you've got to see the reality of this, right? And so I'm grateful for that. Anyway, this woman, she gave me this assignment one day uh, that I was to look myself in the mirror and tell myself that I love myself. And as was my pattern at the time, I sort of said, yes, like, okay, I'll do it. And then I totally did not. <laughs> and I didn't really know why I wasn't doing it. I mean, it felt a little cheesy, but she would ask me every morning for a little while, like when I saw her, like, hey, did you do your I love you's in the mirror? And I was like, no. <laughs> She kept telling me to do it. So I was just trying to get this woman off my back. So one morning, I, I, I did do it. I looked myself in the eyes in the mirror. And actually, at first, I, I couldn't really hold eye contact. So I was darting all, all around. And I just whispered, like, really quietly at first. I said, I love you, Julia. And then I said it a little louder. I love you, Julia. And I locked eyes with myself in the mirror. And it was like this moment of clarity that I can't describe. I saw like this beautiful person 
this girl, just like this scrappy 23-year-old girl who had been so hurt and was now so hell-bent on hurting herself. I, it was like in that moment, I felt the impact of how I had been treating myself. Whew. And I felt that maybe there was something in me to love. And I knew that it was my job. That it was my job to do that. And I decided in that moment and I told myself out loud looking in the mirror that I would never give up on myself ever again. No matter what happened, that I would never give up on myself again. And the truth is, you know, I haven't done everything perfectly far from it. But I have stayed true to that promise. I have never, ever, ever given up. Not ever again. Whew. I'd love to say that the journey from there was all roses and gumdrops and rainbows. And it wasn't. The reality was I was really struggling with uh, I was really struggling with my eating disorder at the same time as, you know, trying to stay sober. And this facility just did not have the, it did not have the, the resources to help me navigate that. And unfortunately, what ended up happening was that, you know, I was still expressing in my eating disorder while trying to get sober. They essentially told me, if you keep doing that, we're going to have to kick you out. In fact, I actually remember they gave me something to sign saying that I would never do that again or else I was going to be kicked out. And I signed it knowing that I couldn't keep that promise. And so when they inevitably asked me to leave, you know, I understood even though it sucked and it was really painful. And I did leave and I found a sober living situation. <laughs> there were 16 women living in this little house. Uh, majority of them were, uh, had come, I mean, it was county funded program. The majority of them had actually come from, from jail or prison and we had one bathroom <laughs> and um that was a challenging experience you know really challenging experience living there i was very involved in 12 step at this time and once again there were earth angels that showed up for me and the truth is I was carried on so many levels through that experience. And I also showed up and I met, I met, 
everything that was being asked of me, right? To the best of my ability. So it's not that there's no participation that's involved. There's definitely participation that's required, but what's required first and foremost, and, and you'll see this if you do, you know, work with the 12 steps, what's required first and foremost is like surrender. You know, people, people like to tell me like, you must have had a lot of willpower. <laughs> and I'm like, absolutely not. It's, it's not willpower. It was surrender and it was willingness. And it was commitment and it was devotion. And it was allowing myself to be carried. It doesn't mean it was easy. It wasn't fucking easy. And guess what? I got kicked out of my sober living environment also because of my eating disorder. And it was years into my sobriety journey before I was actually able to put that down. And I think that's also a really important piece to share because there's a lot of people who are trying to get clean, trying to get sober, and maybe they have other addictions going on and they think, well, it's all the same, or they're told, I was told this by some people, or they actually believe that, you know, it's not really sobriety, you're not really sober if you're doing that. Bullshit. If you're sober, you're sober. And you address the things that you need to address in the order of importance, in the order that's being presented to you of like, what is, you know, honestly, what is most threatening and what is most immediate, right? So, whew. Where do I want to go from here? I, I didn't actually know I was going to go this step in depth on my in my story here. But it must be important for some reason because it's pouring out of me and it feels really true to share about. You know, I think recovery has so many layers to it. And everyone's path is different in a lot of ways. I had a lot of success, like I said, with 12-step programs. I know not everyone does. Personally, I believe that a lot, uh, there is a lot of importance behind how the steps are being looked at and how they're being worked, the people who are guiding you through it, right? Because there's not just one way, you know, and it's a template. For me, it was really, really helpful, you know? Um, again, I believe everyone's journey can be different, but I also believe that there are core, just foundational things. There are lessons, there are frequencies that you sort of need to develop and that you sort of need to really expand and lean into because of my journey with sobriety i learned how to take responsibility i learned how to 
see myself as an agent of choice, you know? I learned how to look at my part in situations. I learned how to take accountability for behaviors, you know, and things that I had done and things that I maybe did. Um, I learned how to commit, you know, I learned how to keep showing up. One of my favorite quotes is from Woody Allen, and I think he says it's like 98% of life is just showing up. And that's been my experience in my recovery journey. I had a mentor at a certain point in time in my recovery journey, and I've had multiple, multiple mentors, all of whom hold an incredibly sacred space in my heart. I had a wonderful mentor who told me, you know, Julia, all you've got to do is your 1%. And God will meet you with the other 99, but you got to do your 1%, right? So every day I asked myself, like, what does my 1% look like today? It might be picking up a, like the phone and calling someone when they needed support. Um, it might have been helping someone like I learned this is the other thing I learned the value of service <sighs> I learned my value through that the value of my experiences in that I could share it with other people and it could make an impact in their life and so I learned that there can be this like redemption for any experience for any experience in being able to share it. There's so much alchemy in that. Being able to share it in a way that opens something for someone else or in a way that they can relate to it, in a way that they can see themselves and say, oh, like that, that's like me, except for you're, you're not sitting in that place anymore. You're over here. So maybe that's possible for me. And that's been a theme that's been present throughout the totality of my life. And it informs the work that I do today with people as well. Obviously, um, you know, I have a business now, so it's a little different. But this value behind service is, is something that I will always have access to now. And I'm so grateful for that. Because we can find meaning. I mean, we do find meaning in everything, right? It's what we do as human beings. We're meaning-making machines, right? <laughs> Maybe some of us more so than others. I'm one of those people where I need to find the meaning in everything. And, and you can attach a negative meaning to all kinds of things that happen to you. You know, all kinds of things that you walk through in this life. But when you share it and help someone, it changes the meaning of the experience. How magical. What a magical form of alchemy. 
<laughs> Trying to feel into here if there's anything else I want to share. So yes, so recovery happens in layers. If I would not have gotten clean and sober, it would have been impossible for me to address my trauma. It would have been impossible for me to address my eating disorder. It would have been impossible for me to address my relationship addiction. And if I wasn't sober today, it would be impossible for me to have the life that I do now. And so it's not always something that I give gratitude for, but I could give gratitude for it every moment of every day. And every time I have a birthday, a sobriety birthday it's the opportunity for me to come back to that and remember like remember that love is real <laughs> i know that sounds so cheesy but that's where it takes me and remember that no matter what i'm being guided no matter what i'm being led another mentor of mine used to tell me um, God didn't take you this far just to drop you on your ass, you know, and, and I, I pull on that, right? I don't believe there's anything you can't come back from in this life. I really believe that. And it might be a slow process. It might require a lot of you. And I just want you to know that if you are struggling in any way, at any level, with any kind of addiction, you are not alone. There is not something so broken and bad about you that it can't be fixed. In fact, there is nothing broken about you. There's nothing bad about you. You know, your brain, your neurology, your nervous system, your genetics have you wired in a certain way. Your experiences whatever they might be, the pain of, of the past that you're carrying, have you wired in a certain way? And you deserve to have help. So where I wanna end it today is, please reach out for help. Please reach out to the appropriate channels for help. You might think there is no way that I could stop doing this and it's true that you can't on your own if you're in that spot. 
if you're like where I was, you know? It's true that you can't do it on your own. It's not true that you can't do it. You don't need to know what it's going to look like. You don't need to know every step of the journey or what it will require of you. But you've got to do that 1%. Pick up the phone. You know, there are hotlines. Call a friend or someone you know who is in recovery, if that feels better for you. But reach out for help. I love you. Thank you for receiving my story. Thank you for being a part of my journey. Thank you for being here. You know, if you chose the path of addiction and, and recovery in this life, you also need to understand and know this is just bringing in more of a spiritual perspective. You need to understand and know that like, you are transmuting this template of addiction for your lineage and for the collective. It is not easy work. It's a brave soul that chooses that path. And so I see you. And once again, I am sending you so much love, so much compassion. There's nothing wrong with you. You deserve help. And I will see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today for this cosmic conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe. And if you like, share it with a friend or on your socials. Until next time.